Hello, everybody, and welcome to Friends of the Force, a Star Wars podcast. I am your host, Brad Whipple, and on today's show, we are talking about A Test of Courage by Justina Ireland, the newest middle grade book from Star Wars publishing in the High Republic era. Joining me is my fellow book nerd, Sarah. Sarah Haas? She's back. Oh, yeah, I'm here. Hi, hi. Yeah, uh-huh. I'm here. We read books. Uh-huh. I'm a nerd. It's fun. Mm-hmm. How is your next book read of the High Republic? How you feeling? You getting through that 2021 Goodreads goal? Absolutely not. Actually, <laughs> I upped my goal to 70 this books this year from 50, which is, or 50, 52, which is my, you know, a book a week kind of a thing. And it says I'm one book behind schedule. This is so embarrassing Oof. for me already. <laughs> Oof. You got to up those numbers. Those are, those are rookie numbers Ugh, right there, Sarah. I know they're rookie numbers. I... I have to finish the book I'm listening to on audio. I have to finish a lot of books. I have a bunch of books on NetGalley. I got a little um, request happy in November, December, and now I'm paying for it by having to give feedback on those books. Um, not that I'm not excited to read them. It's just me finding the motivation and the time. So hopefully yeah. I will get out of this disgraceful moment for myself being behind the schedule soon how about you how about your good read school brad you know between the many coups that are, have been happening in our world uh you know i'm trying my best yeah. uh, to to get through uh, productivity but i started into the dark this yeah. weekend and i finished test of courage once i finish that we're probably going to get the victory's price arc pretty soon so it's a good it's a good time <laughs> It's a good time to be a Star Wars book lover, shouldn't you say? I I mean, yes, I would say. I would say, but also like the thought of whether we get an advanced copy or not, the thought of Victory's Price coming out soon, all things considered, is horrifying. And then we get Thrawn after that. Yeah. Thrawn well, 2. Thrawn is a middle chapter. I, this is an end here for Alphabet Squadron. And like, what will Lark? Will I just need him to be okay? <laughs> I really need him to be okay. Well, if you love books and you're listening to this podcast, and this is your first time listening to Friends of the Force, we are a Star Wars podcast. We look for joy in fandom. We have uh, critical discussions, but we're also very positive about things that we do love. But we talk a lot about books. And as you probably know, there is not a lot happening in Star Wars right now outside of the books. So if you need your book fix, this is the place to get it because we are covering all the major releases this year, including Victory's Price, including Thrawn, the second one. I forget what it's called already. <laughs> it's called Greater Good. Yes. So for your own greater good, you should listen to this podcast. Wow, that was a really good tie-in. Shout out. Yeah. I know. So, Sarah, how this episode is going to work for our listeners is we are going to start by talking about the Disney Insider episode that came out on Disney Plus. Had a little bit of fun behind the scenes content for the High Republic. And then we are going to talk about A Test of Courage by Justina Ireland. We'll have like a small spoiler free section up front, just kind of giving our overall thoughts on the book. And then we're going to go through spoilers, uh, full spoilers, and talk about what we love, didn't love. Although, to be honest, we loved pretty much all of it. It's, it's fantastic. And we're going to talk about what a test of courage actually is. Who is being tested? What is the courageous acts that are carried out in this book? And <laughs> why do we feel like it's, it's uh, one of our favorites that we've read so far this year? So I'm very excited about that. If you haven't 
read this book yet and you're kind of on the fence, well, oh, it's middle grade. I don't know whether to read this one or um, it's middle grade. So I might skip this one because I don't read a lot of Star Wars books in general and I'll just get the gist of it. Stick through through our non-spoiler section. Hear our thoughts on it. Spoiler alert for the non-spoiler section. We're, we're going to recommend it to you. Um, but <laughs> maybe, maybe us talking about it will change your mind or just give you a better idea of what it's all about. Sarah, why don't you kick us off with the Disney Insider episode called Puppet Masters Authoring the Force and Capturing a Kingdom, which obviously one of those is going to be the focus of our, of our discussion. Although we can talk about puppets if you want. Uh, there were some good, you know, Earth to Ned stuff in there and some, some Kermit things. But uh, let's kick right to the middle portion of this episode. Tell us yeah. what it was about. So this middle portion, as you might assume, dear listener, is about the High Republic. <laughs> this segment kind of took us through um, the creation of the High Republic, some more imagery and video from that 2018, I believe, summit at Skywalker Ranch. We've got some sit-down interviews with the authors all the way up to the announcement of it being Project Luminous, um, or not, pardon me, it being the High Republic and not just Project Luminous anymore, which was what it was for almost a full calendar year. So when I think about this episode and this segment about the High Republic, it just makes me ponder the before times. Oh my god. (laughs) Think about what the anticipation of Project Luminous, now High Republic, was for that almost year that we knew about it as Project Luminous. Did you feel those same things when we were going through that? Or did you just have that realization now? Because that date for for that event launching the High Republic was the 24th of February, 2020. Mm-hmm. That not, not three or four weeks later, we are in capital P pandemic. <laughs> You know, that was like trying to focus on all the cool behind the scenes stuff, but I just couldn't stop thinking about like, oh, look at them in an enclosed space, cheersing (laughs) all their glasses together and drinking. Oh, look at this giant press event full of people sitting arm to arm. Wow. What a time. Will we ever get back to that? It doesn't feel like it. It's just weird (laughs) to think about because for almost a year, we were thinking about this in the open. You know, we learned about this event or this, this project at Celebration, a convention with tens of yeah. thousands of people at it. And so it's cra- It's just crazy to think about how much the world has changed and us getting to see the before timeline because we know that the timeline was changed from beginning in August of 2020 to January of 2021 due to I'm what I assume to be printing schedules and also reconfiguring marketing and how, how do you sell a book during a pandemic. So, so yeah, this was really fascinating. And I, I didn't feel like we learned, you know, anything revelatory, like mind-bending information. But I really loved seeing this behind the scenes. And I would have just, oh, to be a fly on the wall at the Skywalker Ranch in the summer of 2018, whenever they were there, just to watch all of these creative minds come together and come up with this idea. Oh, my God. The thought of it. The thought of it. It's incredible. Yeah, even though there was a bit of dread of just thinking, wow, I can't believe that's how we used to interact with one another that closely (laughs) and that intimately. But it also was kind of nice to be like, 
I remember that night exactly like where I was and like the different threads I was following. Did they mm-hmm. live stream that event or were we just purely finding out through like Twitter osmosis? I want to say it was Twitter osmosis. Yeah. But I could be wrong. Because I feel like I was following like Amy Ratcliffe and Star Wars Explained that yeah. whole night. Yeah. I absolutely. feel like those were kind of my two go to's. But yeah, like thinking about that event and like kind of the anticipation of what finding out what it finally is and. Bobby Moynihan was there and mm-hmm. really this whole kind of sh- documentary short is just the hours leading up to that with a little bit of before sprinkled in as well and just seeing them all really get excited and see some of the new concept art for the first time and it's pretty incredible honestly that we've come so far and we still have so far to go like there's still so much that we don't know that is being kept very very secret and very tight-lipped yeah they are showing us like 0.1% of of, you know the information that they have about this project and like we got a little bit of concept art we got a little bit of that that amazing timeline that i'd love a full detail of even if it's outdated and we saw how they came to the covers that they got to i mean just the the little tidbits that give you an insight into probably what is more intensive in, in in than a you know single book publishing process but just a little bit behind the scenes of the publishing process and Star Wars publishing specifically and how all these different departments and people interact in order to come up with this really epic finished product. And also James Waugh, who is the VP of franchise content and strategy had said the phrase competing for the soul of the Jedi order, that which was a really interesting yes. way to put the high Republic. What do you think that means? Obviously they kept it in there for a reason. Um, they didn't keep it in there as a nonsense thing if you know what i'm saying like they wouldn't they wouldn't have kept that quote in if they didn't think it didn't pertain to what the what we're actually getting so the fact that that's in there it really piqued my interest because Mm -hmm. competing for the soul of the jedi who the jedi are what their core beliefs and principles are and like whoo yeah that's deep and heavy and fascinating and i hope we really dive into ideas like that in this project well yeah it's because what happens when you don't think when you think the soul of the jedi order is one thing but then everybody else thinks the opposite what what do you do Mm -hmm. you Mm -hmm. you leave the jedi order right so we talk a lot about the lost 20 which i still don't think is getting talked enough about Although maybe my timeline is wrong and that's why nobody's talking about it. No, but I'm pretty I, sure I'm... this is when it starts to happen. So if you think people are disagreeing on the soul and what it means to be a Jedi and what the order stands for, uh, this is the era to start doing that and showing who can't take it anymore. So and we've already seen several characters in these three different books that do question the soul of the order and like trying to find a different way to look at the force that goes contrary to the order i think in this high republic era there's definitely been like a dilution of the force if that makes sense um from a quote that's talked about in the book and we don't have to get into this here but there is a quote a conversation that happens in this book that's talking about ancient events events that happened in the past wars and other force user groups and how one style of something went out of style and nobody really uses it but one character in this book has this style and it's not 
considered like a light side thing. And so it's really interesting to see the way that perhaps the Jedi have, you know, diluted their ways, you know, to make them much more narrow and ultimately how that leads us to the Republic that falls under Palpatine's reign. Mm -hmm. And then the other thing too, that stuck out to me was Justina's comments about a quote sect of people who have kept this knowledge alive end quote in reference to like the villains when they were kind of coming up with the idea of the Nile and maybe they've been this group that have been around for generations waiting in the dark or waiting in the shadows to finally strike when the time is right. Mm -hmm. So that just got me thinking like, you know, I don't think we've necessarily seen that ancient knowledge just yet, but like who holds the key to that ancient knowledge, right? And I think I know who the answer Martian might be. Rowe. You know, the leader, the eye of the Nile would probably plausibly have that. I don't think that's necessarily a spoiler, but I think that is interesting and I want to know what that knowledge is or like what those powers are that have been sort of dormant forever and it's like, why is now the right time to strike, you know, when the iron's hot? Like, why now? What, what have they been waiting for? Spooky. I like it. Very spooky. Uh, last thing we'll say here before we get into the actual book, Test of Courage. Sarah, I don't know about you, but it looks like the High Republic's a massive failure. I mean, Light of the Jedi well, is, is just... Nobody's buying them. Yeah, absolutely not. A not. Person. It's definitely not like uh, a Test of Courage is sold out on Amazon. Uh, it's definitely not hey. the case. Um, I just want to say that your local indie probably has some copies, so check out your local indie bookstore. Yes. Don't get any of your books off Amazon, please. That's our official (laughs) anti-product placement of Amazon. I also work at an independent bookstore, and I can guarantee at my bookstore we have copies of these books. So if you're in the Chicagoland area, let me know, and I'll make sure you get a copy of the book. Yeah. So real talk, though, it is a huge success. Obviously, we're being sarcastic. The High Republic, for anybody that thought uh, Disney Lucasfilm and Del Rey were going to be messing around, they are not. So Light of the Jedi was number one on the New York Times bestseller list for hardcover fiction. A Test of Courage is number two for middle grade hardcover. Yeah. And uh, Light of the Jedi is number two on Amazon, only just behind The Duke and I, Bridgerton. Wow. That's incredible. <laughs> Facts. Facts. And it also appeared on Publishers Weekly, USA Today, and Wall Street Journal. So, I mean, it's just gracing the top of any list, basically, that's out there right now for books, mm-hmm. which is pretty incredible. So for all of the, like, you know, people that just hate anything that comes out of Star Wars and actively make videos, you know, that try to bring everybody down on YouTube and monetize hate, take that. Because it clearly is not working. There are more of us, and the High Republic is a huge success. So, and it's only going to continue being a huge success. And also, here's the thing: most people are probably not even reading these books anyway. They should just try them. They're really fun. They're really good. You know, for that audience, the middle grade may not be their favorite, but like, <laughs> but like, because just because some people are weird, they're like, I want all my books to read like adult books. I'm like, well, that's not how it works, sir or madam. But um, there's something for everybody to love in Light of the Jedi, if you ask me. So. I don't know. Yeah, I think there's a certain group of people on YouTube that are specifically targeting this this new thing. But I, I think, you know, we're just showing by the numbers that, listen, these books are hard to find right now. There's delays in shipping because of it. The inventory is all over the place because these things are, you know, popping off the shelf like hotcakes right now. So, like, you know, 
that's that's pretty awesome. I'm very happy about that. So congratulations to all of the team that worked on the High Republic. You guys have deserved it, especially given the COVID environment and just all the delays from, you know, August to January and having to market this thing without any major events this whole year. I think it's pretty incredible that they're able to to have this big of a release without that normal marketing push that they can typically rely on, you know, because I know this isn't like the first for Star Wars books. Thanks to the power of Google, and uh, we found a list on theforce.net. Turns out there are a couple of other books that made the top five and at least the top one on New York Times bestsellers. One of those number ones was The Force Awakens, novelization by Alan Dean Foster. And then Light of the Jedi. So it's like a pretty big privilege to be this rated this highly on the New York Times. So that's why it's it's not like one of those things where every movie that comes out, it's like, it's the number one movie in the world. You know, it's definitely not like that. But uh, to have the number one bestselling book is a huge, huge to do. Yeah, definitely. It is. uh, It's it's a list that is has an interesting backstory to it and how you get there. But it's always an accomplishment to to be there. And it's exciting for Star Wars. And I hope people who may not be reading Star Wars who may say, oh, there's a couple of Star Wars books on the but who might read the bestseller list might decide to pick it up yeah absolutely so i think that pretty much wraps up our housekeeping items for this episode and we're going to jump into a test of courage again we'll spend the next couple of minutes talking spoiler free stuff we will put time codes in of when we start our spoiler section so if you just want to get an idea of is this something i should buy listen to our spoiler free section If you decide this isn't something I want to buy, but something I want to listen to a podcast about to get the general gist of it, then stick around. But if you do want to read it for yourself, (laughs) this is a podcast. (laughs) Yeah. If you do want to read it for yourself, though, then you would turn it off and come back later. And then if you've already read it, you're golden. Sit back and relax. Grab a bowl of popcorn and uh, specifically Skinny Pop because it's very good. And it's uh, I think it's zero calories. Uh, I've been eating a lot of Skinny Pop (laughs) recently. It's not zero calories. It's like zero something i don't read the bag i just eat it and then i get another Mm -hmm. bag and i eat that bag wow that sounds like a lot of popcorn it is it's way too much popcorn so sarah Mm -hmm. tell me about your spoiler free impressions of a test of courage by justina ireland test of courage good those are my thoughts all right well i'll go next yep (laughs) Um, I think that this is a great first entry into the High Republic middle grade series of novels. I think Justina has done a really wonderful job balancing these characters and their ages with the world and the disaster that we see in Light of the Jedi, which for the first, you know, eight chapters or so is very dark in that book. And I think that by those characters are the characters in this book being a little disconnected from that main tragedy and going through their own set of events allows them to feel at home in this world and go through their own um, emotions and experience that is all valid and really exciting away from the main action uh, in Light of the Jedi. I also think that Justina has just done a great, great job with these characters. I love them so much. And I want to read many books with each of these characters. And so I'm looking forward to more stories that feature them. And I hope that this is only the beginning for all of them. 
I will say the central character of this book is a 15-year-old Jedi Knight, the youngest in quite a while to be knighted, is Vernestra Rowe. And Vernestra is going to be featured in Justina's next book, which is a YA book called Out of the Shadows. And that's going to be pretty cool. Like, again, we're seeing the progression of these characters throughout many books. It's not like a singular mm-hmm. thing each time. And I think that's the, the greatest thing of all is we get to almost watch these characters evolve over their lifespan and really grow with them. Similar to like, you know, if we got a trilogy over five years, a Star Wars yeah. trilogy, you know, so it's like mm-hmm. that kind of caliber storytelling. See, I'm really hoping for more Avon Steros. Avon Steros is the daughter of uh, a senator, a very prominent senator, and she is a tinkerer, a young inventor. She's somebody who has a comes from a very logical math and science background and doesn't know how to process other people's emotions super well. And <laughs> to me, she's kind of the Spock of the group, and I always love those type of characters, but she is just an absolute blast. And her like nanny bodyguard protector protocol droid j6 is also an absolute delight and so i want all the books with avon steros if you are a mr bones fan from the aftermath trilogy you're gonna like j6 yeah or if you like k2 yeah um some of that same level of sass and humor Mm -hmm. uh, j6 is a female droid too Especially, yes. so that's that's yeah. an important distinction she's to make. Hilarious. There. Yeah, she's, she's hilarious. really funny. But I would say too, in terms of reading order, I think that's a question a lot of people have for the High Republic. I'm actually very glad I read Light of the Jedi first, and I think if you're going to read both of these books, definitely do Light of the Jedi because to start with, because I think it really sets up the era very well and like what happens with the Great Disaster. And even though there's a lot of character moments and character focuses in that book, I don't think it's like as a book, a character driven book. Like, I don't think it's meant to do that. I think it's more meant to set the scene. So like, if you go from that with all of the knowledge of the era, and then you go into the to test of courage, knowing what happens since a test of courage happens after the great disaster has already happened because they are kind of aware of the different emergences that have happened in the the hyperspace disaster and how hyperspace lanes are kind of closed off. So all of that's mm-hmm. already still kind of in the conversation of the, of, you know, at their dinner table basically, but it really kind of allows you to not question so much and to really just focus on the characters. So you're not as much like questioning, like what are all these things they're mentioning? Cause you already have that background information and it makes the focus on, on each of them much stronger. I would argue at the same time that while that's probably the, most ideal reading order i don't think that it is necessary by any means that you have to read light of the jedi first if you are a person who loves a character-driven story or you are you have kids that are of middle grade age that read middle grade and you're not ready to give them adult books which is good on you good choice um then this is a great place to to start because it doesn't focus so much on the big picture of it all that you're, that there are details that don't make sense. Everything that's happening in the story for the large part, other than the main inciting incident to the era, is explained in this book. Mm-hmm. And it's all a very clear linear story in here. So yeah. you're not, while, while I do think that the additional knowledge from Light of the Jedi is helpful if you're going to read this and imagine what the world looks like and what's going on at this time, you don't need it and understand 
you don't need it in order to understand what the world looks yeah, like. Yeah, th- that's a good so distinction. So they they work they work in in both ways and obviously are intended for for different age audiences and I believe do a, a very successful um and I believe are very successful in presenting the information of this world in ways that are digestible for both stories in the context of those stories and for both sets of audiences. Yeah. And I think they've, they've made that distinction too, of like, you can really read what you want to read. Like, I don't think you're, you're right in that you don't have to read one thing to understand the other. And I think that's what one of the strengths of this book is, is it's still a a very self isolate. It's still a very self isolated story, but tells it very, uh, very compellingly. And it just has a lot of heart and a lot of good character moments. Uh, it's much, I think, much more of a focus on characters than Light of the Jedi. So if that's like what you're going mm-hmm. for, um, you could even skip Light of the Jedi and you, if you want and just read this. So Yeah, I think my one sentence summary of if you are on the fence about this book and, and haven't decided whether you're going to read it or not, what I would say to you what this book is about and why you should read it is this is a book about people who are dealing with a tragedy and all that that entails that find themselves in a new place and decide decide to take action to save themselves and figure out what's wrong and it is a wonderful character study it is a great way to see young people on an adventure and it is a really just delightful book with a lot of enjoyable moments it's a quick fast-paced read so if you are bored on one afternoon and want to dive into this book, I don't think you'd be wasting a single minute. Mm-hmm. And when you think about the title, it's called The Test of Courage. We were curious about the definition of courage and like what it actually entails. It's a mental or moral strength to venture, persevere, and withstand danger, fear, or difficulty. So my final thought on this book is if, you, if all those things intrigues you, danger, fear, and difficulty, every one of the characters in this book faces one of those sorts of elements. Mm-hmm. So the idea of this book is how do you find courage when you are up against one of these obstacles and what choices do you make either rationally or irrationally and then depending on the choice that you make how do you live with that choice and how do you either rebound for that choice or succumb to the mistakes and that's ultimately when you find your courage that's that's what you kind of have to deal with and each of the characters in this book finds their courage in some fashion you know mm-hmm. um so i think that's what's really uh, when you think of the middle grade genre and you're trying to like kind of have these themes to a younger audience to kind of find their own courage i think it's a very effective storytelling uh medium for a younger audience and even yeah. for an older audience i i pulled a lot from it there are a lot of quotables i had in there that i'm like i kind of needed this right now mm-hmm. exactly <laughs> you and know middle grade is all about finding your place within the larger world uh not your place uh, you know individually in the world like going off into the world that's what ya is all about but a middle grade is all about finding out who you are and and your place within the people around you and i think that this book does a great job of it and if i may just broaden for two seconds everybody should be reading more middle grade <laughs> thanks for kind of my ted talk yeah, and specifically, Justina's other middle grade includes Lando's Luck and A Spark of Resistance, which have come mm-hmm. out previously. So I would say if you like her writing, which her writing is great, you should go check out those other books as well. Uh, Spark of Resistance also has a lot of Rose Tico in it and some Porgs. So another reason to read her other book. And then Lando, Justina's a huge Lando fan. So 
that will be exciting. I hope she does a tie-in novel for Lando, the show. That would be kind of cool. Just want to throw that out into the universe. Yeah. You know, we'll see. So I think that pretty much wraps up our spoiler-free section. There's not much more we can say, but yes, definitely a quick, easy read. It's a cute little book, especially the size of it. It is very small, spelled out S-M-O-L, small. Uh, it's a it's a nice little uh, hardcover book without a slipcover on it. It's beautiful. It's honestly beautiful. So definitely check it out. But we're going to move into our spoiler section. So again, if you don't want to read it and just want to know what is important from it, continue listening or come back if you do want to read it for yourself. And then for, for all of you who are just ready to, to dive in the spoiler territory and get all the themes, get all the important moments from the book. Now is your time. Now is the time. So we're going to turn right over to that. Sarah, I want to start real quick with a yeah. popcorn plot. Last time we did one of these was like Bebo's book report days. And some were much more successful than others. Yeah. If you recall. <laughs> yeah. So uh, this will be interesting. But how about you start? Okay. I'm going to throw, I'm going to toss it to you. All right. The microwave is on. The popcorn is popping. All right. Picture it. Just kidding. Um, so the book begins with 15 or 16-year-old newly minted Jedi Knight, Vernestra Rowe, on her first solo mission on her own. She is to accompany Avon Steros on the steady wing, which is an awesome, amazing, like, tour, cruise, luxury liner. Awesome. Anyway, they're headed to the opening of the Starlight Beacon in the Outer Rim, and because Avon is the daughter of a highly respected and highly regarded senator, uh, she needs this protection. And Vernestra is not so thrilled about this. She feels that this is babysitting without the pay. <laughs> um, <laughs> and she, but she has resigned herself to knowing what she needs to do. Popcorn Brad. All right. So there's a lot of other passengers on this ship. So we have the character of Honesty Weft who's being taken away from his home planet. We have Imri, who is a, another Jedi Padawan under the guidance of Master Douglas. And we have uh, Avon with J6. So they're having this wonderful dinner. So great. Let's just pass the time on this vessel. What could go wrong? Hey, All the kids guys, together. it's like that thing where you say like, hey, it's been a pretty easy day at work. What could go wrong? And then the rest of the day of work is just horrible. So they're like, hey, guys. Traveling through hyperspace has been pretty safe recently, hasn't it? They're like, yeah, it actually has been pretty safe, given all the recent hyperspaces. And bang! Hyperspace disaster hits. Ship starts blowing up. Ceiling gets ripped off. It's crazy. What's going on? Nuts. And through the acrobatics of the Jedi and the will of the Force, somehow this young group of kids makes it off the ship, unfortunately, at the demise of their parental guardians. So we're getting some pretty heavy lord of the flies sort of vibes oh no <laughs> because the adults are gone the kids are out on their own in the wild they get marooned mm -hmm. onto this planet after Imri does some really cool wayfinding to find a planet to get marooned onto it is crazy popcorn all right so in the process everyone has been lost including master Don douglas sunvale Imri's master ambassador weft honesty's father and every other passenger on the ship. So as they are marooned on this new moon, they are dealing with grief and not knowing exactly where they are or if anybody's there. When it starts to rain, 
but this is not regular rain. Oh, no. <laughs> this is acid rain. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> and that means that they have to hide out in this cave and wait until this rain passes. Popcorn. Mm. What a great place to hide in a cave. What could go wrong? Everything. Just kidding, there aren't any creatures in the cave, but there are some creatures outside of the cave called Hansies, and they like to jump around trees and eat fruits and throw things at people, and Emery even takes a Hansie on, and he names it Cheery. So you have Emery and Cheery, and they're the little cutest couple. What could go wrong? Star Wars loves happy couples, happy friends all the time. They always live happily ever after. Wrong. Cheery <laughs> dies at the hands of the Nile. Emery and Vern find out that there are two Nile marooned with them on their planet. Their ship has been destroyed by the boulder that they had to remove to get inside the cave. And uh, they kill Cheery. Uh, Vern and Emery find out that they were the ones to destroy the steady wing, and that's where the disaster happened and popcorn. So now that there are the two members of the Nile who blew up the ship on the planet with them, who wants to destroy them? And we have the kids in the cave. Time is now ticking in order to get off Weevo, which is the name of the moon. Imri, who is feeling a lot of passionate emotions of anger and grief and wants to take revenge on these Nile who killed his master and is reflecting on Asi's grief, who, you know, he lost his father. They go out together in the middle of the night to try and ambush these members of the Nile and kill them. <gasps> but what could go wrong? Everything they're captured. <laughs> that's the, that's Popcorn bread. <laughs> that's the motto of this book. What could go wrong? Everything. So they go out to face the Nile. They get captured. Vern wakes up. They're like, where are the boys at? Well, you know what the boys do. They think they can, you know, jump in an X-wing and blow things up. And they get themselves caught in a trap. They go out. Vern has this insane lightsaber duel with Emery to say, hey, listen, bud, you need to calm down. I know you're angry, but anger leads to hate. Hate leads to suffering. You can't be suffering, my boy. So she saves Emery from his own anger and they capture the Nile and they make it off the planet. They get the communication out. They go to the Starlight Beacon. Emery is taken on as a pad one by Vernestra. And what do we find out at the end of the book is that there is another Nile waiting to find out, hey, where are these two people that we just sent off on this mission? Where are they at? And they find out they, they were probably captured. Uh, so it, it kind of ends a little bit dramatically with the Nile once again kind of planning the next phase of destruction. So mm -hmm. this is only the beginning. The Great Disaster is only the beginning. And I don't think the Jedi realize what is about to come and hit them in the face. So... They do not. <laughs> it's really scary. That's the scariest yep. part. Like you think, if you think the great disaster is bad, whatever's next is not going to be any better. Mm -hmm. So it's it's not great. But Sarah, that was uh, it was you know a little bit of rust, or a little bit of a rusty popcorn plot. But I think we did it. We hit the big points, there. and we'll we'll continue to go through a lot of the stuff that we glossed over, obviously, because mm -hmm. we want to hit all these characters in some form or fashion because they're they're really awesome characters that have a lot of different aspects to them but what are your overall pros with this book now that you can talk about you know spoiler context and also was there anything in the book that you didn't particularly enjoy or is it pretty much a hit for you yeah so for me this book hit a lot of the things that i really wasn't expecting it to but 
probably should have expected it to and ultimately loved. That being the real focus on grief and loss and how you deal with that pain and how you keep going. And what I thought was so wonderful about this book is because, was that everybody was dealing with it differently and everybody had a different perspective on it. And this really allowed for our character interactions to have these characters learn from one another and see different points of view, which I think is super valuable for a middle grade reader and an adult reader living through a pandemic. <laughs> anyway, uh, I also think that this self-contained um, action and adventure story was really fun. It wasn't too difficult or too heavy. Even though we were dealing with those heavy emotions, the book itself wasn't weighed down by them in any way, which I really appreciated. I also really love each and every one of these characters. Truly. As I said earlier, I would read books upon books with them. I think they all bring something really wonderful to the Star Wars universe, and I hope we get to see more of them, especially Avon, because she's my girl. I think a con for me in this book was just that I got about halfway through and didn't want to pick it back up. And it wasn't because I wasn't enjoying it. I think it was because some of the action did not start until much later in the book than I would have expected it to. And it's still a quick read. It's still really fast paced once you get into it. But I just had the problem of like, oh, do I want to pick up the book right now and start reading? And the answer for a while, a couple of days was no. Um, And I don't know if that was a me problem or a book problem, probably more of a me problem than a book problem. But I would have perhaps like the action to start slightly earlier. Yeah, I kind of had the same experience, although I did. I think I put it down right around the, the coup that happened. Uh, yeah, the so world, I think that was, <laughs> the world, you know, everything everything's going, going on. on. <laughs> yeah, uh, then it's definitely like a, a bigger problem or a not book problem and just like a world problem. Yeah, I think so. But also like I think there's that middle part of the book that we both stopped at. I think we stopped around the same point where it does sort of lull right there because it just you just had this like really big escape off the ship. And then you're going to like feed into now this big battle against the Nile at the end and like, you know, this this pull to the dark side by Emery. So there was kind of that just like limbo area and then the coup happened and then we're just like, I don't want to read. But like once you pick it back up and you get into like you, you then you find out that the other Nile are there. That's mm-hmm. when it's kind of like that little bit of push that you need to keep like to continue on towards the end, uh, especially if Definitely. you're reading it in one sitting. It kind of like reinvigorates you in a way. And I think that was one of the strengths of this book is like right when you think it's going to maybe lull, there's like one more thing right there to like kind of push you a little more. And I think I just wasn't expecting such a focus on the dark side. Like I didn't expect Emery mm. to straight up force choke somebody in this book. And that's a, just a little dark, just a little. Quite literally quote Anakin Skywalker, which we'll get to in a moment. But like there is some really dark stuff in this book on the side of uh, Emery. And he, he, he goes through some shit. You know, I would say this is as much an Emery book as it is a Vernestra book. I think they're definitely and the two. And I think it's an Avon book. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the fact that we're saying all these different things just goes to show that there is such an intense focus on each of the characters. I think definitely there's less of a focus on honesty as much as I would have liked, although there's still a pretty prominent role for him in this book. But I think there's more to come with him because at the end of the book with the Nile, they mentioned that there's going to be a destruction of the Dalman sector. And that's where mm-hmm. Honesty's from. So mm-hmm. I think if there's a, a, a new battle that's about to happen on Dalnan, I think Honesty 
was set up really well in this book to now where like he can be a central character maybe in another project or a side central mm-hmm. character to help in the battle that might 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 soon come but yeah i think overall this book had a lot of really great strengths i rated it five stars on goodreads because i think it's that good i think like within its genre it's it's one of the the best middle grade novels in star wars that i've read to be honest so it's it's definitely up there it definitely feels and i haven't read all of the middle grade titles by any means um but it does feel like the middle grade novel that deals most with emotions and really kind of dives into some of the experiences of young people because i feel that some of the middle grade you know uh the lando novel focused on lando not as a 13 year old lando i don't believe so to have um the characters be this age and um go through these emotions i think is really valuable whereas some of the other middle grade novels have been about characters that are older in a story that is younger yeah if that makes sense no that makes sense i hadn't thought about it that way but that maybe that's why i actually thought this book works so well because yeah you're not dealing with adults and i think the the idea that all the adults actually die and it's just the kids left is kind of like a a little bit of a a little bit of a left turn for readers. They're like, whoa, okay, I guess all the adults are done. <laughs> Do you remember, um, did you ever watch Kid Nation? No. <gasps> oh my God. We're going to talk about Kid Nation off air. It was a reality show and they put a bunch of kids in the, like a Western ghost town and they expected them to create a society. Uh, it was a mess. Whoa. Anyway, not important. <laughs> but, um, you know, I think like some of the middle grade novels have featured um, young people as their way into the legacy characters so i'm excited for more of these middle grade books about young people specifically race to crash point tower by dana close like older um out in this summer as part of the high republic and now i'm just thinking about all the middle grade titles that i should go back and read there's a lot there's still there a lot i have to read there's a lot and i think the one that's most interesting to me is the i want to say it's the wild space series um oh is that cabin scott's a... mm-hmm. yeah 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 that's the one that they mentioned on the insider episode this week they they talked about mm. that briefly for a minute yeah i it definitely is one of those things where you read this book and you want to read even more middle grade right and i think justina's strength as a writer really shines through and tells you middle grade doesn't mess around still like there's still a lot of darkness within these pages a lot of adult concepts i mean the idea of killing and uh you know the brutality of the nile within a middle grade genre is like the it's they still don't kind of back down whatsoever you you still have the ruthlessness of them shine through and it's very evident so i think that the fact that like nothing within the story was sacrificed for being a quote unquote middle grade novel it just really goes to show that yes genres are important but i think you can still tell really great stories regardless of who the audience is and who it's you know, meant for. It could be meant for anybody. Anybody can pull meaning from this book. Absolutely. I firmly agree. So I want to talk about the idea of a test of courage. That's the title of the book. So we thought it'd be a good idea to talk about what this means in relation to our characters, especially because I think, as we mentioned in our spoiler-free section, is every character faces their own test of courage in this book in some form or fashion. And I think definitely fear and danger and difficulty, those are the definition of 
courage is finding way around those things. And I think those really are the three pillars of this book. You know, it's you're you're stranded on a planet planet, so there's danger. You just lost everybody that meant the most to you, which is the fear of like, what do I do next without these people that were staples and the foundation of my life? My my life was built around my dad or my master, whatever. Like all these people are gone. I fear Mm -hmm. what comes next. And then you have difficulty, which is like, how do we defeat the Nile? How do we get somebody to find us? How do we survive acid rain? Like, you know, the difficulty of like keeping a clear head and not dwelling on your circumstances and like trying to figure out what's next. So that that's mm-hmm. the courageous part they have to find. But what do you think of the title and like how it relates to our characters and also like which character do you think had like kind of one of the hardest tests of courage in this book? So for me, this is a title that's really grown on me as I read the book, as I understood its meaning. Um, I have really grown to find this title one of the best because what this is for each character is indeed a test of courage. Um, and they have all they all are courageous in moving on past tragedy. And I think that is the most key point for me. Um, the character that I think goes through the biggest test of courage, for me, it has to be honesty. And he might be the least um, focused on character in this book. I actually kind of think it's an Imri and Avon uh, headlining and Vern in honesty just, just barely second. Because honesty doesn't get the dramatic arc. Mm-hmm. But honesty arguably loses the most and honesty is losing his or he's not able to attend or be a part of his metamorphosis right at the same time that his peers will which on dalna is the kind of test or trial or experience that allows you to become uh, an apprentice in whatever trade or profession you will go into. Yeah, you know, it's, he was it's like it's like the ACT. Yeah, he was know? focused specifically on hand-to-hand combat because he wanted to be a, a military medic, I think. Yes, yeah. I, I believe that's correct. And, you know, this would put him on the path to doing that. And now he's going to go home and be behind his peers. And he was mad at his dad that his dad took him on this adventure because now he's just going to be behind. But the name Metamorphosis is fascinating because he does go on a sort of metamorphosis on this adventure Mm -hmm. and he in the course of this loses his dad who he had a fight with was their last major interaction oh god and tragedy you know i mean hopefully hopefully most of us never have to experience something like that in our lives but the reality is that probably a decent amount will where you know, the last thing you said to a loved one was not, I love you, but was, was words of anger or, mm-hmm. um, or, you know, not, not, you know, you didn't get out everything you wanted to say. And the immeasurable pain for an adult, um, but also for a child. Yeah. And it is it's perhaps even more tragic to know that uh, he's like 12 in this book mm-hmm. and, and went through this. Um, and it's not like he can get closure on it, too. He can't um, bury his dad in the same way that, you know, we do here on Earth in the real world. His dad is fragments in space. 
And and so I think he goes through the greatest test of courage because as somebody who doesn't care for adventure, who is used to having limits and guidelines in his life, who had his life on a certain particular path that he was expecting and that he could look into the future with, for that to be all uprooted in 10 different ways and for him to still persevere through the struggle and through the pain and the loss is really admirable to me. Yeah. I, I, the one thing that sticks out to me with him is he remembers a lot of his father's lessons throughout the book mm-hmm. that keep mm-hmm. coming back to him. So I think like his journey in this book is kind of the phrase of when life gives you lemons, like what is honesty? What, honestly, what are you going to do with that? With those lemons? Are you going to make lemonade or are you going to let them spoil? So like he mm-hmm. is so focused on the fact in the beginning that he's missing that metamorphosis. And like you said, he actually ends up going through his own metamorphosis without the formal trial. And I think what he's so it's kind of like irony and it's, it's ironic that he feels like he can't forge his own path yet his idea of forging his own path is following the path of everybody else that goes through the metamorphosis on the planet that's expected of you like how mm-hmm. why does he think that that's his own path to do what everybody else is expected to do right so the fact that or now he's given this just opportunity the only way yeah and now the fact that he's given this opportunity to literally form his own path the path is not clear he doesn't know what's next he doesn't know how to survive Although he has this, the skills and the knowledge that he could teach other people, you know, and he mm-hmm. realizes that maybe if I do that, I could make my dad proud. Even in his death, I can be a mentor to other people. And maybe my job isn't necessarily a medic or in the military or I'm not like the most skilled in hand to hand combat, but I have all of the, the, the tools for survival that I can use to get us out of here. And, mm-hmm. and yeah, forging the path that he didn't, he didn't expect and trying to get through that barrier while also like getting out of his comfort zone and dealing with the loss of his dad. Like, are you just going to sit there and dwell on it? And there's that one point he remembers his dad say to him, a cool head will help you prevail even in the most desperate times. And it's literally after he thinks this, that he looks outside, clears his head and sees the handsies on the trees, drinking water out of the fruits. And if he just sat there and sulked the entire time, he never would have seen that and they might have not survived. So like the fact mm-hmm. that he was able to kind of ring himself in and be like, no, I got to focus here. And now he ends up saving everybody by thinking innovatively. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. For you, who do you do you think honesty also had the greatest test of courage or did you think that another character may have embodied that more for you? Honesty is a great answer. I was surprisingly drawn to Imri in this book because of that dark side pull. That's not something I expected in this book. I just wouldn't wouldn't think that right out of the gates for the High Republic. We're we're getting a story about a character who literally is just like about to turn Sith, like on the brink of it right at the get-go. Hmm. Like I was pretty certain that like I mean, we knew from Light of the Jedi, because at the end it spoils it. <laughs> yeah that Emery yeah. becomes Renester's padawan which like we knew that already but like when you're in the moment and you're reading it you could plausibly think this could go south he might not come back from this because it's he's really angry and understandably i think Emery is somebody who is really dependent on master douglas because i don't think he really has the confidence or the their uh 
the belief that he can be a great Jedi. He's somebody that takes a while to sort of learn the things that he's being taught. Um, it says at one point that he lived in fear of learning that his connection to the forest was too weak, too advanced, and that he maybe would just end up being some sort of local uh, minister in a local populace instead of keeping order for the light side. And he understands that Douglas was one of those people that could be patient with him that would say, you know, try it again. It's okay. We can continue with this. Whereas most masters might've given up on Emery much sooner. So when master Douglas dies and Emery doesn't have that anymore, he feels completely lost. And it's just like, what do I do? Because he never had the belief in himself. His belief was based on the existence and the presence of somebody else. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like, you can't get your, you can't get your own happiness. And, like, put that all in somebody being there for you, you know? Uh, it's kind of like a relationship, right? Like, you can't, you have to, like, learn to love yourself before you can be in a relationship. Because you can't love yourself just because somebody loves you. And then you, like, connect to that person, right? Because if that person goes away or they break up with you, then it's like, oh, no. I don't love myself. What do I do now? Nobody loves me. So it's kind of mm -hmm, like him. Mm -hmm. It's like, nobody believes in me because I didn't believe myself. So what do I do? And then he just kind of gets angrier and angrier and very jealous of everybody around him and how good they are at everything they do. And it's like, he's just kind of sitting there waiting for his moment to shine and it never really comes. And he, and then when he finally figures out who killed his masters, he's like, maybe this is the moment that I can show what I'm made of. And like, this is the thing I was meant for is to kill these two Nile and get my revenge and show everybody around me that, like, I'm powerful, I'm strong. Nobody believed in me, but, like, look at me go. I'm going to kill these two people. And that's kind of what leads him down the dark path. Yeah, he's dealing with a lot of self-doubt in about his place, especially around Vernestra, considering she's only two years older than him and, like, a full knight or, or what have you. And he's also experiencing the fact that his lightsaber is broken. Yeah. It's right in this book. and And... Yeah, this tool that he relies on is not in um, pristine condition. And he was expecting Master Douglas Sunbale to, to help him in order to fix that. They were going to go and they were going to fix that together. And now he's lost that path as well. So I definitely think that he goes on a, on a test of courage. And that goes into one of the key quotes we're going to talk about in a little bit about choosing the light. And a bad day doesn't make you bad. It just means you had a bad day and you can still choose a light. And so I think that he has a lot, a long way to go in terms of believing in himself and his place and, and his ability, but he's on that path with Vernestra, which I think is great. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I, I do love too, when he loses Douglas and he's having a conversation with honesty, Honesty's like, you know, I'm sorry you lost your dad. And he's like, it's not my dad. He's my master. And he's and he's he's like he taught me what it meant to be a good Jedi and how to be more in tune with the Force. And honestly, says that sounds a lot like what a parent does. And he's like, yeah, I guess so. So it, it kind of puts on the weight of what of what Douglas really did mean to to Emery and how hard that is for him to go through. And I think it's that kind of over reliance on Douglas his whole life that really becomes his downfall in this moment. And yeah, do you want to talk about that quote you just brought up? I mean, I think this would be a great place to to discuss it. Sure. I mean, the there's a quote by Jedi Master Skier who saves them in the end. Um, and it says, the force is not so simple and neither are the emotions of living creatures. Most Jedi have felt the temptation to the dark side. It's only natural, but we resist it. 
It is a deliberate path to the dark, not a series of bad days. Being a Jedi is about choosing the light over and over again. And that quote struck or stuck out to me so much because it is a reminder that we are all better than our worst day. Mm-hmm. And it is a reminder that one action on one day does not necessarily make us bad or good, but that we as people, as readers, as humans, and these characters, as their various human species otherwise, um, have to continually work on themselves and continue to walk towards the light and be a beacon, <laughs> lol, <laughs> a beacon of the light in their actions every day in order to, to live that message. And um, I just, it really worked for me because it wasn't. It wasn't in that moment that I was reading it, a quote about the Jedi. It was a quote about people. And I think that's when Star Wars is really successful sometimes, is when the messages are not about the Jedi or the Sith, but they're actually about humans mm-hmm. in our real world. And, and so that's when I think those themes hit the hardest. Yeah, because it's, it's kind of like saying, uh, it makes me think of Padme's quote in Attack of the Clones when Anakin kills the Sand People. And she says, to be angry is to be human. So mm-hmm. when you think of like your worst days where you were super angry and you maybe said a thing that you regret or did a thing you regret, is that always how you're acting or is that just a bad day, right? Like having one of those days doesn't make you a bad person. Like if you are constantly like that, that's something where you might want to step back and like reevaluate your decision making and your judgments and like how you view the world and like maybe kind of, uh, deconstruct that a little bit to get to the root of your problem but like if you're having a bad day that's just like natural it's being being human as skier said it's a natural cycle so and i I think that's even something avon says to emory at the end too she's like they're not going to kick you out of the order it's okay Mm -hmm. man like you had a bad day it's fine and for you know her as being younger than two years younger than emory and he was kind of jealous of her the whole book like when she was flying the ship he was like i can't do that i'm kind of mad i wish i could wish i could fly the ship she doesn't have the force to guide her i'm trying to still learn that Mm -hmm. you know and then for her to have this kind of lesson for him and this encouragement of like you know you'll be fine you'll make it through and that's something i think we all need to hear right now especially of like when we have really down or like unproductive days especially during a pandemic it's very hard to stay motivated and productive and it's like you know we've kind of just had a series of bad days for a very long time (laughs) and they've just been strung together for, you know, like 12 months now. But I think once the pandemic is over, we'll kind of see the light again and things won't just feel like a series of bad days anymore. They'll start to have like, you know, glimpses of hope and glimpses of like, you know, that was just a temporary thing, but it's not, it's not forever. But like, as long as you can rebound from it and live a better life afterwards or try your best to do so, uh, if you always choose the light, that's the important thing. Yeah, and I think we see this reflected in Honesty's path as well, because Honesty has gone through, and that's what I relate to the pandemic. I actually, I actually personally relate to Honesty's journey a lot, because Honesty lost so much, and he's not going to go back to the way that life was before. But the best thing that he can do is to just keep going. Yeah. Keeping himself, keep going on wherever his path calls him. And, and in that, He's not a Jedi. He's not a Force user, but he has to choose to keep going every single day. And so I think that's the same thing um, with the Jedi and the light. That same idea. 
And this quote from Skier also shot off fireworks in my head to back to Master and Apprentice. There's a quote from Qui-Gon that says, quote, I don't turn toward the light because it means someday I'll win some sort of cosmic game. I turn toward it because it is the light. So it's like, what is your motivation? Are you only following the light because you think you're going to get some sort of advantage? Or are you following the light because, it, because you know it, it's the light? That's what, you, that's what you follow. It's like right or wrong. You do the right thing. Mm-hmm. You, don't follow mm-hmm. the wrong, you don't follow the wrong thing because it's wrong. You, you do the right thing because it's right. You know, it's kind of that simple. And mm-hmm. it takes a while for Emery to learn that. He kind of rejects all of his master's, his master's lessons throughout the story. Like, you know, he says, uh, Douglas once told him a Jedi never flounders. He simply looks at the problem before him, takes a deep breath, and believes in the force to guide him through. Which is kind of what Honesty's dad would tell Honesty. Mm-hmm. The same thing, you know, just push through, keep a clear head, it's all right. And, like, both these boys forget that in this book. Like, why do you, why do you think that is? Like, why is it... Boys. <laughs> Boys. Jeez, come on, guys. Get better. <laughs> but, like, why do you think that is? I mean, they're really the two characters in this book that lose something. Yeah, and, I mean, I think it's because they've lost. It's, I think it's because they've lost something major. And I think it's because they are dealing with a lot more than just being on a new planet. They are dealing with grief on a major scale, on a frankly incredibly traumatic scale. And I, I, that's why I appreciate this conversation so much because of grief and loss, because we really don't get it as much in you know, the movies where things are happening at a galactic scale and there's a lot of loss, but you have to keep going because of the plot a lot of times. Um, again, why I love Rose Tico, <laughs> other things. But, um, you know, you... you make some mistakes in those in those moments after the grief hits because how how do you even keep going how do you know which way is up and which way is down and it's not it's really hard to do basic things when you're in that level of pain and um i mean that's why i think they do it is because they're just they're just hurting and it's not them you know making deliberately mean decisions or whatever it's just them Thinking that's what thinking what's right is to act on their emotions in a dramatic way without the support of their friends. It doesn't work out so well for them, but they learn. I want to move on to Avon. I think the discussion about Vernestra and Emery's final confrontation can be a, a discussion towards the end where we talk about, you know, master and apprentice and kind of wrapping it all up into one one single thread. But I want to talk about Avon and what her test of courage is what would you perceive hers as for me avon's test of courage is really being her own person in the world despite the fear of that from her life before we learn about halfway into this book or maybe three quarters of the way into this book at that avon probably the reason why avon has a guard during this time and why Avon is struggling a little bit with this whole situation is that on Hosnian Prime, she and her family and her clan lived on this walled off compound, kind of isolated from her age peers, from society uh, in different ways because they therefore to protect them, to be amongst family. And she wanted to know what was on the other side and she left. And ultimately there were people waiting right there for her. She was kidnapped. Her uncles came and rescued her, but in the process, I believe that all of her captors lost their lives. And 
she feels pain regarding that situation because obviously kidnapping is trauma um that is traumatic experience and she's still dealing with that and her her mom you know has more or less cast her away in order for her to be safe because um you know because her mom's status she's a high value target uh and that's probably she has the the guard of of Ernestra. and i think her courage her test of courage is to go on another adventure and to really come into her own with her smarts and with her her focus, but also understand that other people like Imri and Honesty process their emotions and their loss differently than she does. And I think she learns from them about the appropriate ways to talk to people who are dealing with grief that are dealing with it in a different way than you are and um, how to see other people that are not exactly like you. And she has a great relationship with honesty in that way. Well, and she's grown up too with a family that doesn't really like emotions or express them very well. Like a very emotion suppressant mother who, when her father left, she was just like, yeah, dad's not joining us for dinner tonight. And that was like it. Or the great grandmother died and they had like an hour funeral or something and never mentioned it again. So she never really had a place to cope with her emotions and even j6 was like you should really start to synthesize those because like you need to it's really important it's part of you know synthesizing and speaking about your emotions that helps you to comprehend what you're going through that's why Mm -hmm. we talk to people when we're feeling bad because if you leave it all bottled up it gets worse like there is a lot of value in like you know talk therapy and just getting it out there and like what's going on in your head and sometimes Mm -hmm. you come to your own conclusions and then when you mix that with the fact that she has a very tech-oriented mind where she, uh, her, you know, the science-driven mind that judges and analyzes and assesses different risks and mathematical equations and different uh, facts and kind of putting these all together to make sense of the world around her rather than, like, kind of using her heart. She uses a lot more of her brain. Mm-hmm. So that kind of creates a thing where it's like, am I going to listen to, am I going to listen to people or kind of just be like a rebellious kid? And we see that in the beginning when she's running around Port Halep and she's, causing some trouble and she's like i stole this one thing and i'm trying to use it and i think at some point she wants to take a lightsaber to like you know take it apart and assess it yeah and she does that at the end but not out of necessarily curiosity i think it's because she wants to help emory repair it so there's a little Mm -hmm. bit a bit of a different drive there but what really stuck out to me was her coming to the realization that her mom sent her away to protect her where she had always thought it was because she didn't want anything to do with her And it's honesty who gives her that revelation of like, no, like, why would your mom send you to a different place that's safer if she didn't want to keep you safe? She would have just kept you in the same place, expecting you'd be kidnapped again at some point. So, of course, she cares. Mm -hmm. Of course, she cares about you. And then Avon starts to speak and is like, wait, no, you're right. I hadn't thought about that before. Oh, wow. (laughs) My whole world just flipped upside down in like two sentences from you. Mm -hmm. So, again, it's just that idea of like talking to other people. Not being afraid to tell honesty what your past looked like. And because she synthesizes those emotions, just like J6 had always told her to, it was courageous of her to be okay with not being okay. You know, that was kind Mm -hmm. of her test of courage is to just like get it out there. I think that kind of goes into another one of the key quotes that we pulled, which was um, from actually from Imri and Honesty, which is Imri says, it's going to be okay. It's already not okay, Honesty said, and there was so much conviction in his words that Emery just looked down at his hands. 
Emery, a Jedi, is, you know, always ready to have a solution, you know, to be the peacekeeper or the arbiter of, of the conclusion to an issue. And Honesty's just struggling. And he recognizes that the words in this moment aren't what he needs in order to be okay. And he knows that everything in his world has just changed and that not okay is the state of being. And while that is not perhaps always what it was is going to be, it is what it is in the moment. And to acknowledge that fact is indeed okay and valuable instead of painting on a face and saying that everything's fine, everything's good, I'm fine, everything's great, just living my great life over here. Mm-hmm. And I think, too, it, it tells a lot about honesty, how he is inquisitive about other people's emotions. And something his father also told him is, you know, if you judge somebody by your expectations instead of their actions, you will always be disappointed. So realizing that the state of things, like you're saying, is just being not okay, it's kind of that like uh, actor observer bias. That's like a psychological thing. So when you look at somebody and you see like, you know, they're really angry. Like, why are you, instead of being like, why are you just so angry today? Well, is it like an external factor or is it an internal factor that's making them angry? You don't know. You can't like be too quick to judge people based on how they're acting because you don't know what those like, you, you might not know like what those external factors are because you're just the observer and they're the actor. They're going through a lot more than you will ever perceive. So for like Avon, honestly, he doesn't know all of this at first. He kind of just sees her as this sort of, he looks at Avon and sees somebody who is reckless and is a quote chaos magnet. So he's like, I want to stay far away from her. Like that's, I, I know to survive this, I have to keep away from her because she kind of scares me a little bit. So that's like him making an assumption about her because of how she's acting. But like once he actually sits down to talk to her and they have that heart to heart and he sees like how comfortable she is with sharing her past with him. He's like, oh, she's just had a lot bottled up that she like has nobody to talk to it to talk to about. And it's like really intimate moments like those that make this book really heartfelt and emotional and like really great for a young reader, especially to like say, hey, it's okay to like talk about your emotions with people like you don't have to keep it in. Absolutely. And I think ultimately that that brings us to Vernestra's um, test of courage, which is a as a product of her place. She is the youngest Jedi Knight at the age of fifteen. I can't even imagine the stress and the pressure that one is under at such a young age to be what what to be what is considered an adult in the Jedi arena. Mm-hmm. Uh, and to still uh, still be a kid in some respects basically like anakin's expectations you're the chosen one i'm nine years old <laughs> yeah yes but honestly honestly though because um i was talking about this book online with somebody and they said well i don't know how i feel about you know this character being a jedi knight at so young i mean anakin you know was young and that was a problem and i'm and i'm like i think i think that's a part of her whole story I think that her finding her place, her knowing who she is and feeling confident in that, and her living up to the expectation that others have of her is, is the point of her being so young and so gifted. And I think she feels that she is, uh, you know, no one's, no one's special 
and that she has put in a lot of hard work to get where she is, and she's not any more, any less than anybody else. But her her place kind of um, creates a position where she has to be the leader, and she is navigating that. And at the end of the book, we see that Skier kind of encourages her to take on a Padawan and to say that, you know what, you're more than just a leader for this group. You, you can be a real role model for Emery and really guide him on the path of the, path of the light and, and be a good mentor for him, which I think is a super bold thing to do. You know, they're only two years apart, which might cause some, some problems, but I also make for some great moments in their relationship. So I, I think that it's a, a very interesting proposition for her to finally kind of realize her position by taking on Padawan. Mm-hmm. She's very self-aware, too. Like, she understands when she takes out the light whip, like, how that could make Emery feel. Really mm-hmm. thinks about her actions before she takes one. Mm-hmm. She's very introspective. You know, she meditated a lot before bed as a, as a kid growing up, uh, which she describes as a, quote, extra comfortable tunic that she would put on by tapping into the cosmic force for, you know, wisdom and guidance, which is what all Jedi do. And that was kind of, you know, her version of praying before bed or whatever. And I thought that was really interesting. And it just shows she's very, she's very in tune with the force, especially. And that's probably why she passed her trials at such a young age. She feels this really strong connection. But what I think is, when we talk about her test of courage, yeah, it is finding the confidence in herself. And it's also being a leader. And realizing that, like, yes, you are this really talented young Jedi Knight, but that doesn't mean you should do everything for everybody. You know, there's several times where she has Emery do something first, such as the boulder. You know, Emery, take the boulder out of the cave. He does so, doesn't do it quite right, and it almost smashes into them, but she, like, deflects it at the last second. She goes, you know, it's okay. Great job. We'll try it again next time. We'll, we'll, we'll practice at it, right? But she at least gave him the choice. She didn't just dominate everything. And I think what she does well as a leader is she delegates everything she, to people. Like she, mm-hmm. she's open to feedback. She's open to honesty, telling them about the fruit plan, and it works out. And she's like, "Great, that was awesome. Thank you." She initially thinks of Avon as this quote precocious child, but the reality was that she was brilliant, perhaps more than anyone else had known. End quote. So you know, she judged Avon quickly, but realized she also has a bit of value she shouldn't have underestimated avon because here avon is with the binoculars with the the sd droid helping them scout out areas all these different team members all these different team members are adding something unique to the group and it's because the leader is allowing them to i think as you're as a as a leader i think that's her test of courage is to like take a step back and let others do it for her while getting the confidence that she's still doing the right thing absolutely i think the best leadership comes in the form of, of collaborative leadership yeah. and understanding what every other person on your team's strength is. And, and she kind of figures that out and also what their weaknesses are and how she can help them. Yeah. Also, can we that. talk about her light whip for a second? Okay, let's. Please. Uh, yeah. Sarah, can I ask you a question? Yeah. Have you ever read the testimonies of Serval the Uncanny? No, I have not, actually. It's not a story the Jedi would tell you. Exactly. <laughs> Except it might be because she's a Jedi and she read them. Page 122, folks. This is a Darth Plagueis reference for sure. So good. Hold on. Let me do it. Let me do it. Have you ever read the testimonies of Servil the Uncanny? <laughs> she states that the whip was sometimes used to defend against the Sith Lords who used the 
capital F, capital F, forbidden forms. Besides, I was led to this design by the force. I cannot believe that the dark side is directed at its construction. Do you feel any, do you feel any anger of, or discord in me? <laughs> Vernestra did not mention that she hadn't told anyone else about the change to her lightsaber. Not even. Her master, her former master, Stellan Geos. Girl, she will oh. keep a little secret. <laughs> I mean, that's a big secret to keep. And we know we find out the light whips were primarily used by night sisters but also were used by jedi in the sith war again like you said the forbidden forms which and that's where i'm talking about the dilution of the force like yeah. why don't we do that anymore yeah i don't know and is it frowned upon to have a light whip because the, the night sisters used them it's kind of the thing of like well the force kind of told vernestra to, to build this thing so she did i don't know also the forbidden forms is that something that could Make a comeback. We're going to bring those back in style. Capital F and capital F. I mean, that is a, like a thing. That was a thing that was mentioned, which I do think maybe the forbidden forms could be on the horizon. Maybe that's the ancient knowledge that we were talking about in the front. Something like that. But it, it's, uh, it was kind of cool, though, to learn more about the Sith Wars. We've been getting like dripped more information throughout each of these books. I will be curious as to what is maybe in Into the Dark about the Sith Wars. We learn anything new. I have heard that Into the Dark gets pretty force-y. Like philosophy and force and... St- you know what I'm saying? Jedi, like je- some Jedi Fallen Order vibes when it comes to like finding your path in the force. So hopefully is my point. Is the point I'm attempting to make is like hopefully we get some of that good stuff. Yeah. Now, speaking of the Sith Wars, I want to talk real quick on Vernestra and Imri's relationship in particular, because I think that final scene is really the, the biggest climax of the book. It's kind of the, uh, the moments that it all comes together, and Vernestra really has her biggest test, and so does Imri, and we think of this book as more of a Vernestra and Imri book. This is really the capital M moments of the book. And, you know, we'd already seen earlier in the book that. Emery was able to wayfind Wevo to find the planet, which, you know, he kind of, uh, not many Jedi Masters uh, practice this in their life. Very few, but it's a, it's a way of extending yourself out through the cosmic force, uh, not spending too much time in the force because you could get tired and our bodies are crude matter that need care and feeding, as Vernestra says and thinks. But to kind of detect a planet out there and see where they can, where they can go to. So that's like one of, Emery's first tests of of courage there and uh, Vernestra kind of allows him to do that and then this time it's something that Vernestra is not allowing Emery to do which is to kill the Nile she doesn't want him to do this and um you know she stands in his way and Emery says if you stand in my way I will kill you and she even tells honestly at some point that you are either with me or you aren't I need your anger honesty that is a Anakin Skywalker quote, if I've ever heard one, when he tells Obi-Wan, you're either with me or you're my enemy. So we see that parallel there and you really kind of see Emery in this book go through the fear, the anger and the hate and the suffering phases towards the dark side. But when he gets to the suffering phase, I think he doesn't quite get there. He's suffering in a way that he regrets his decisions, but it's not like an angry, hateful suffering. He gets to hate and that's when he realizes he needs to turn back. Mm-hmm. It's really powerful stuff. You know, he feels this hot, bright anger. 
and he kind of feels like the the universe is out of balance for taking away Douglas and taking away Cheery, which by the way, the Hansies are super cute. I was I was actually audibly shocked when they killed the Hansie. I was like, oh, and I had to put down mm-hmm. the book because I was so upset. <laughs> <laughs> but what did you think of this whole scene, the build up to the scene? And, and was it something that you expected with a middle grade novel, especially? It is not something that I expected quite at all. It really is bold and a little scary and we know that like Imri becomes Vernestra's master or I'm Vernestra's Padawan because we have read Light of the Jedi both you and I but in that moment you kind of wonder what's going to happen and and where is Imri going to be can he come can he see the light again and see the way out of of the way that he's feeling so I think this storyline is is really important and I don't think this one captured me as much as it captured you but I am looking forward to the continuation of the story because I feel like there's a lot of meat to really dive into there because feeling angry and upset and hurt and hateful you know like feeling this way after a loss so great is like that's a part of grief and we're all people and like Skier says in that quote you know, it's it's natural to feel this way. So I imagine that both perhaps Vernestra and Emery will continue to feel this way as they are teens. I was a teen once. Perhaps you were too. I had a lot of emotions. <laughs> I was feeling a lot of things. And I think really what what it boils down to is Emery remembering his his one final lesson, one of the final lessons in the book from Douglas, which is to be a Jedi is to always trust that the Force works in mysterious ways. We accept and we try our best, but we do not forget that in the end, all is as the Force wills it. So it's kind mm-hmm. of along the lines of like everything happens for a reason, although I like really hate that fa- phrase so much because I don't think everything happens for a reason. I think there are just some really sure. bad things that happen that are just like there's no reason at all that those things had to happen. I think more of the phrase of like you can pull meaning from everything. And I think you can, in the, as a, in the Jedi terms, you can pull meaning from whatever happens in terms of like, what is the forest trying to tell me about mm-hmm. this moment? It's not necessarily the, that this thing was destined to happen or needed to happen for me to grow, but it's like the growing actually happens from my perception and, and me digesting what's going on and like how I use those lessons. So I think for Emery, this was a really hard-hitting lesson for him to go through this and be like wow I really let my guard down too much I got really jealous I got really hateful I I I wanted to feel special I wanted to feel like I had been endowed with all these things that everybody else around me is endowed with you know Vern Mm -hmm. Vern's a young Jedi Knight Avon's really smart and tech savvy Honesty's you know getting trained by uh you're getting trained to be in the military and all this other stuff he's gonna be special he's gonna be a great fighter what am I? So I think that's kind of the uh, the test of courage right there. And for, for many young readers is like courage is just kind of life uh, coming at you and like you're making do with what you can, you know, mm-hmm. and especially in the year of 2020 and now in the 2021, <laughs> we can't spend too much time uh, reflecting on all the things we wish we could do. And yeah, that's going to happen naturally. We're human. You know, I go through days like that, but if you spend all 12 plus months, 12 to 24 months of the pandemic feeling that way, it's going to give to that fear and that hate and the anger. 
So we just have to remember that, you know, the pandemic didn't happen for a reason, but like, what can we pull from it now to like learn and grow? Mm-hmm. I don't know, a little bit of a meta thing right there. I don't know. I'm just thinking out loud, Sarah. I don't know if you have anything to add on that. I don't know if I have anything to add. I I, I appreciate you. I feel like I'm rambling. About it, like, <laughs> yeah, but but like, I think it's a good ramble. We like good rambles here. We do. We try. We really do. We really try. <laughs> Sarah, tell us about J6. Uh, J- J6, you mean my queen and droid icon of the highest degree. Um, she's hilarious. Uh, she's um, a badass. I want more J6. That's what I... She, she has some funny quotes. Do you want me to share some? Yes, please. Well, I would not have died. I would have floated through the galaxy. Circuits slowly freezing. A rescue be- beacon. Well, I would not have died. I would have floated through the galaxy. Circuits slowly freezing. A rescue beacon blinking until my systems shut down. <laughs> About, you know, if they had been blown up, she had been blown up on space on the ship. Or when uh, Avon asks her for something, I believe it's Avon who asks her for something. She goes, J6 is taking a moment for herself. Thank you very much. <laughs> and, and, and Avon notes, hmm, that's, that's new. That's new. <laughs> I love the just natural progression of J6 getting sassier and sassier and more uh, less subservient to her human counterparts. <laughs> yeah, and it's Avon's fault because Avon implanted like slow acting reprogramming software that would allow her to decide her own personality rather than have the personality assigned to her that you know, she was made with, which I think is a great idea. I love it so much. Um, another reason why I love Avon, she's an 11 out of 10, um, would recommend do Stan. Uh, <laughs> but, but J6 is also exciting because there's a lot of uh, guns. She be- becomes really instrumental in when they're going to get Emery and Honesty. Like IG-11. <laughs> like a nurse yeah. droid, you know? Yeah. Pretty funny. She's great. I, I love the idea, too, of them bringing back the what what sort of free will do droids have in that conversation mm-hmm. that kind of started i think more with very prominently with l3 you know l3 always being about droids rights and freeing the mm-hmm. droids who were on kessel and all that sort of stuff so i like that this conversation's back in the fold and also in particular too there's the there's the uh lyric schmeierlin's almanac which was installed yes. inside of j6 which is this almanac created by uh, Lyric, who 300 years ago cataloged a bunch of planets that the Republic could colonize on. And there's still messengers coming back to the Republic with new facts about different planets, but he hasn't returned in in many, many years since he left. But it brings us up this idea, too, of colonization from from J6. And she says, uh, or Avon says, you know, it's pretty awful when somebody's already living there. (laughs) Colonization is not a great thing. And I just love that those, the concepts of like, you know, free will with the droid and then the colonization brought up uh, that programming being contained within J6. Those are kind of like two interesting topics to blend together. I don't know if you have any thoughts on that. I definitely see this conversation popping up in our real world sphere with regards to the High Republic. And, you know, is the Starlight Beacon a little problematic, have some issues because it's attempting to bring in outer world you know planets into the the republic do they want that you know 
Is this something that's being forced upon them? Are they being pressured into it? You know, all those questions lead to really important conversation. And it's not really touched on in Light of the Jedi too much. But here, the fact that the word colonization appears and we get this idea of this almanac that has a bunch of uh, inhabited worlds that um, Lyric has decided um, are adequate places for people to settle if they wanted to go and create a colony on a planet is really interesting because, yeah, colonization is bad mm-hmm. um, for it is. the people who are already living in a place. Um, and I think that bringing that up to a middle grade audience who is probably, if you're an American, U.S., United Statesian kind of person, is sitting in their social studies class and spending three weeks on the American dream and only three days on the Civil War in their eighth grade social studies class, this may or may not be a personal experience. Yikes. Three weeks on going west, three days on the Civil War. That was a thing that happened to me. So, you know, American exceptionalism is taught in America pretty heavily. And uh, I think that this statement, whether a young person knows the word or not might might stick yeah, a little bit it, or or just you know inter- introduce the idea that it's not all it, it seems yeah it might plant the seed that hey you know manifest destiny might have not been the greatest thing in the world because it led to some pretty horrific things but really it's like actually about genocide and that's not really taught as much as it should be and that's kind of the problem with our our education system so like yeah this little bit of knowledge right here in the higher public you know putting things in star wars terms for a young kid they might again just plant the little seeds subconsciously that they should question the idea of expansion and and particularly the expansion of the republic and uh is it really great because yes some places in the outer rim do need protection but with that protection comes the law and order of the republic and the more protection that happens the more the law and order spreads and the way of life of certain people gets impacted and the people that are living pretty freely and just want to chew on their death sticks and peace on their farm it's like do they really want to do all this crap the republic republic imposes on them probably not but there are Mm -hmm. some things that need to be put in line so it's like where do you find that balance but i don't think colonization is probably not the best the best thing yeah, and I think I hope, yeah, and I hope that it is a conversation that other books within the High Republic continue to dissect and have because um, the whole idea of Lena So's great works, and obviously we don't know the Starlight Beacon to exist by the time of the Republic that we've gotten through the Skywalker saga. So something happens. <laughs> something happens. I want to know what it is. I want to have more of this conversation about whether the actions of the Republic are, you know, with good intentions, but have different ramifications. And and I hope we get more detailed dives into this conversation in perhaps some of the adult books and, and even YA books. I think that's a great transition too, in terms of the, the idea of law and order in the Outer Rim. So to, to wrap up here and looking at the future of the High Republic, we get this final conversation once they, they take the Nile captive on uh, Weevo. And Guishi says, 
this is our sector. If we have Republic cruisers patrolling this part of space, it will ruin everything. And now that the Nile are at war with the Jedi and the Republic, you're going to feel the true depths of our wrath. A storm is coming and you will regret standing against us. The strong survive, the weak die. It's complicated. Because, like, the Nile are right. The Republic is expanding too much. They're infringing too much. They will be more infringing on, on too much of people's lives in the Outer Rim. But also, the Nile are bad. So they're right in the sense that the Republic is probably doing too much. However, they're terrible people who shouldn't have, you know, free reign to, uh, to kill people and to steal and to pillage. Mm-hmm. But I think the people who, you know, like just own a farm, it's a simpler life, <laughs> you know, as Galen Erso would say, it's a simple life that they just want to live in peace. So I understand that. That might be something that shouldn't be encroached on. But the idea of the storm that's coming and, you know, Kara at the end of the book says the Dalnan sector will be nothing but ashes. And we know from honesty that there was a, a war a century ago on Dalna. There hasn't been since, and Honesty's always kind of prepping for this war that feels like it might never come, but he wants to be, you know, every citizen on that planet is trained for battle because they, like, never forgot that big war that happened. So there's a lot happening. You know, the rising storm is Captain Scott's next book. Spooky. And they say a storm is coming. So what do you think this kind of all spells for, for the Republic and just, again, hitting home on that idea of, like, is the Republic doing the right thing? Is we are all the Republic doing the right thing? Yes and no. And I think that the next thing the Republic is going to be, at the end of this book, we get Kara Zhu, who seems to be under Cassive. Spoilers for Light of the Jedi. I won't go into it, but Kara Zhu might be a major player in the Nile going forward due to the circumstances of light of the jedi and we also know that we are going to get these unstoppable plant creatures things are just going to get bad and i think they're going to have trouble containing the problems as they continue to pop up and i know that sounds really vague but i mean i don't know what's going to happen but also um that's what happened with the emergences and i I believe that will continue to happen perhaps in more targeted attacks and you might have a bunch of republic forces and jedi on your side but again there's only a finite number of them if the if the nile start attacking many places and you have a responsibility to protect all those places so i think it becomes kind of complicated perhaps when that happens yeah it's so hard to tell like what the next threat will be i think we might get a clearer idea once we finish into the dark Mm -hmm. but i definitely like you know this on top of light of the jedi it just continues to like heighten my worry (laughs) for what's (laughs) for the jedi yeah like please do not hurt honesty weft he is baby we need to protect him but i think that about wraps it up for our conversation on a test of courage so do you have any final thoughts on the book or anything else that you'd like to mention before we kick it out my final thoughts are that this book really pleasantly surprised me and that i ended up having a great time reading it and that i Hope that you, the listener, if you have gotten through this whole review and haven't read it, decide to go read it. Or if you, the listener, have read the whole thing, liked it as much as we both did. And uh, hope you'll come back for the next one. Yeah, I gotta say, too, I was very pleasantly surprised. The middle grade novel uh, left such a profound impact on me. And I just think, again, 
good stories are good stories, no matter what form they come in. So don't underestimate any of these of these books. And I think, again, there is something for everybody in the High Republic era. So if you're looking for something that is very character driven, this might be the one for you. And uh, Into, Dar- Into the Dark might be one for you, too, because that's already very, very profound as well. So there's a lot of good to come with the High Republic, but also a lot of danger and a lot of tragedy and a lot of sadness, Sarah. <laughs> I hope we get out of the pandemic first before the <laughs> shit hits the fan in the Star Wars universe as well, because I can't handle two uh, disasters happening at the same time in my fictional world and in my real world. <laughs> yeah. Let's hope. Yeah. Let's hope. So that about wraps it up. Sarah, where can our people find you online? You can find me at Instagram, Twitter. I don't know why I started with Instagram, so I don't really use it. But Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxd, and Goodreads at SEH221. I sometimes am on those places if you would like to hear my thoughts on things. I'm also on this podcast. Yeah. As for me, you can find me at Brad Whipple on Twitter, and you can find Friends of the Force on Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. If you'd be so kind, please, please, please share this episode wherever you can. You know, give us a retweet or a like, you know, quote tweet telling us what you liked about the conversation. Every little bit helps or leave a five-star review wherever you listen to bring others into the conversation because the more this show grows, the better. And you'll have more fun people to talk about Star Wars with in our Discord. You can also join our Patreon at patreon.com slash friends of the force. Thank you to Adam, Anna, Brian, Cheryl, Christina, Deborah, Donnie, Elegy, Jesse, Heroes of the Galaxy, Knights of Ren, Levi, Lindsay, Marie Claire, Marvin, Neil, Rachel, Sarah, and T. That list is getting longer. I'm very, very happy about it. Thank you all for your massive support of the show. It's just truly incredible. And I really couldn't do it without each one of you who, who just listened to the show every single week. And I'm very excited to talk about more books. Into the Dark by Claudia Gray is our next book on the docket. So we will be talking about that sometime in February. Very exciting stuff. So get ready because the queen strikes again. Sarah, thank you for joining me this episode. It was a pleasure for all of you out there listening. Thank you so much. Stay safe. And until next time, may the force be with you always. Bye.